Hello, this is Fantastic Noise. In this episode, we are speaking with Jason Rosam, host of Early Breakfast for BBC Radio London. I'm Terry Lee, Senior Tutor in Radio and Audio at the University of Bedfordshire. Thanks for your time and cheers for your ears. Early on in my radio career, I was often reminded there's always someone listening. Whatever the time of day, someone is turning to their radio for entertainment, for information, for company. When I was a breakfast host, I was waking up at 4am and regularly listening to radio stations on my way into work. I remember hearing local radio early breakfast shows giving shout-outs to supermarket overnight workers and hearing messages read out from dog walkers. When I hosted a 27-hour-long marathon programme for charity, I loved hearing from the listeners in the early hours and finding out why they were awake. Some were bakers, there were various shift workers, a few just couldn't sleep. The radio was there for them to turn to. I caught up with someone who knows a few things about talking to radio listeners in the early hours. Hello, I'm Jason Rosam. I am the local BBC Radio early breakfast presenter. Jason has presented the early breakfast show for two years now at BBC Radio London. From 5am to 6am, the programme is also simulcast across BBC local stations in England and the Channel Islands. Because he is London-based, obviously I ended up talking with him about the area I spent my teenage years Bromley. That's what I was was literally going to talk about, the park behind the Churchill Theatre with the steep After the conversation, I will tell you something I've enjoyed listening to recently and reveal our radio word of the week. But for now, let's hear a quick clip of Jason Rosam in action for BBC Radio London before he tells us all about what it's like making an early breakfast programme. Good morning, it's Friday the 7th of October 2022. You're very welcome to Early Breakfast on your local BBC radio station. It's Jason Rosam here. We're gonna do Jason, you've hosted the, the BBC London Early Breakfast Show for some time now, on air from 5am to 7am. The 5am to 6am hour is that one that's actually broadcast on all BBC local stations making you a national BBC local radio host. So the radar figures suggest that 300,000 people or so are waking up to you in that at that time of the morning. What would you say makes for good radio content from 5am to 7am? <laughs> well, it's early in the morning. So there's various audience members tuning in from different times of their day. Mm. So they might be working overnight and they're going home possibly uh, to sleep or they might be just waking up. So it's a bit of easing people into their days, but still having the energy to keep people awake as they go home. Um, So I like it to be uplifting. I want people to tune in and hear my voice and be uplifted, play a bit of music, have a little bit of news and have a bit of fun as well. So we've got all the elements there in the first hour of my early breakfast show, which, as you say, goes out across all of the local BBC radio stations. It is strange that I'm a local national (laughs) radio (laughs) presenter. I'm the only person currently who's doing a network show across local BBC Mm. radio. 
but it's just really to warm everyone up to the main item, which is the breakfast show, which across the local radio network, they start at 6 a.m. Um, but on BBC Radio London, because Vanessa Feltz, my colleague, is is on Radio 2 doing her early breakfast show, doing something similar to me, but I'm her competition in that in the morning. Wow. Uh, she pops over to do the BBC Radio London breakfast show, and that starts at 7 a.m. So I have an extra hour just for the London audience, which is much more about London's news, uh, things to do in London, and waking up and working out what the day in London is going to hold. Excellent. And what about in your on-air hours listener interaction? How does that work? Is there a great deal? You've obviously talked about um, the fact that your listeners are all at different stages of the, the the day, depending if they've been up late or you know they're, they're coming to the end or just starting their days. But did you hear from many of them? Oh, I absolutely hear from many of them because that's a massive element of the show. Mm. I talk to them. It's it's fifty fifty speech and music, and I want to hear from the listener. And they do call because um, it is a national show, so there's many more people listening than to a normal local radio show on just one of the local radio stations. So I get people from all over the country ringing me on various topics. So I pick uh, something from the newspapers or something that's topical on the day. Uh, It can be anything. It's usually something lighter. Mm. We don't tend to talk about really hard news at that time in the morning. We leave that to the breakfast show. So it's something a little bit lighter, not too light. I don't just do what's your favourite colour. Or what's your favourite biscuit? Um, <laughs> we, we, do, we do other things. And we have these amazing regular callers to the, to the show mm-hmm. uh, who phone up every day and they want to get on air and they want to say what they want to say. And we love them. They're, it's a kind of like a, like a family, but it is always good to get new callers as well who phone in on our various topics. I do a little competition oh, called yes, The Early the Bird. Dove yesterday. So what is this bird? If you can work it out, give me a call on... 0800 731 which is a sound a bird sound it's a little ditty from a bird every morning mm. and that's really calming to listen to bird sound is a really calming sound at that time in the morning so we play a bit of bird sound and then the listener has to guess what the bird is i haven't a clue i'm not an ornithologist in any way shape or form but the early bird is so popular and actually i got a bit sick of it (laughs) recently and wanted to change but people said no keep the early bird we want the early bird to stay and i'm amazed that sometimes i play a bird sound and someone phones up straight away and's got it correct i have no idea how they do it but that's just a bit of fun in the mornings every morning there's a new well Radio 4 call it Tweet of the Day, but mine is the early bird. I think your name's your name's better, Jason. <laughs> That's a great feature, Taylor. And, and it makes me think instantly my wife would be cheating if she played that because she's got that app on her phone, ah, which is like... Yes. I think a lot of people do that. Yeah, Shazam for, for bird song or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people do that. And I actually say that on my show. I hope you're not yeah, getting cheating. your app out to work out what bird this is. <laughs> Excellent. But so early bird would be an example of a, I guess, a standard feature in, in a, a regular time in, in the morning for that sort of familiarity for, for listeners. Are there any other items which come at the same time every day as well? Absolutely. We do something called the five at five. And that's the five things you need to know to start your day. 
And at number one this morning, well, the government says it's confident the UK has enough gas reserves to get through the winter, despite warnings households could lose power for up to three hours at a time from the national grid, who said it was an unlikely worst case scenario. So it's kind of like a news bulletin, but in a more sort of conversational fashion. So we pick the top news story and we usually play a clip of whatever the top news story is. And then we pick a kind of more interesting story for number two. So there's five different things. A more kind of second story that's interesting and that's kind of England-based. Then we do the most read story on the BBC News website. We tell people what that is. So if you go to the BBC News website, they handily have the most watched stories and the most read stories. So I tell them what the most read story is. And then I play a short excerpt of the video that is the most watched video overnight. Oh, nice. Website. So that's one, two, three, and four. And then number five, we do the weather. So there's the five at five, the five things you need to know to start your day. It's a kind of snappy thing to start the show straight after the first track. And it's just to say, you know, this is, this is a bit of news for you at this time in the morning. You're going to hear more later from your breakfast shows, but this is where we are right now. And then we move into the early bird, play the early bird play another track and then it's calls yes um, so i start the show with an introduction and i i call it my morning brew so we have a morning brew that's the discussion point and i say talk i talk about the topic that we're going to discuss and get them to phone in and contact me in so many so many different ways to get in contact now mm. whatsapp text phone email and i read that off every single day and then i do the a track the five at five the early birds another track and then by then we've had lots of people call in. So we get as many calls as we can until about half past when half past five when I take a when I do another track. Yeah. And then there's another um, element called the best of local BBC radio. Okay. Now that that is because it's a network show, I get listeners to email me with bits they've heard on local BBC radio stations across the country. Really good stories. And it's amazing the content that local BBC radio producers up and down the country is incredible. So when a listener likes a particular story that they've heard on the radio, they will email it to me and we will package that up Mm. and play it out as the best of local BBC radio. So each day there's a new radio station um, and a bit of content from that that gets replayed across the network. Other presenters at stations are really excited about that because they get to be played across the network which is rare yes so they really want to be part of it and sometimes even the presenters themselves will send me stuff that they've done to play out on the best of local bbc radio and then more music more phone calls more messages and then we reveal what the early bird is before the end of the hour yeah very good and obviously it goes back to the local stations and their breakfast shows and then i'm on for another hour on bbc radio london what what's interesting that that first hour especially and and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, Jason, but it sort of seems to me that especially the content right at the start by having that sort of formatted thing in place, it kind of gives you and whoever's with you the security to to know that you've got things lined up because it's it's relatively straightforward to come up with with that content, although it, and there is a lot of content there at the same time. That's right, and I've used at, at the start of the of the show when I started doing the show I used the clock yep. obviously and I worked out where would be best for the different featured elements and how the hour would work and it works really well it is quite structured we didn't have any music when I first started the show right. it was just all speech and so that was a completely different element when the music was introduced it 
became even more structured because I had to time where the music would be. And in fact, I think the show's better to have the music as part of, of the hour rather than not having it when I started with it. So I waffled a lot more mm. <laughs> when it was just an hour and, and obviously got more calls on. But now it has so many elements and, and I think it works better when, as it's more structured now when the music was brought in. You've been saying throughout, you've been talking about we do this and we do that. Is it is it a we? Is there, are there other people with you at the time? It's a very, very small team. I have someone who answers the phones to the listeners, as they call in, yeah, and does a little bit of production. For instance, if there's a clip sequence, they help with the five and five, putting that together, the audio together, and sort of uh, doing stuff around the show. But just one other person. I set up all of my show myself. Great. So I don't have a team. I just have one person in the morning who answers the phones. It's only a two-hour show. I'm lucky. I only do a two-hour show. <laughs> uh, the rest of the presenters on local BBC Radio do four hours. So they see me as a bit of a part-timer. But obviously, I do have to get up earlier than any of them. Yeah, well, and, and on that, I, I guess what would be interesting is if, if you could talk us through like that average morning for you, you know, when you're working at BBC Radio London, when do you have to wake up? Where are you going? Where Where is the station based? And And is there any sort of problem getting there at that time in the morning? Or is it clear clear commute all the way like what what time do you get up jason i get up my alarm supposedly goes off at 3 15 a.m i always wake up about 3 a.m before the alarm goes off so i switch it off just before it goes off and i head to the shower and i'm out of the door by about 3 35 3 40 and i jump in the car in my electric car very good (laughs) i must say i'm eco-friendly i could get a cabin to work they would send me a cab if i if i wanted to I quite like uh, driving in my little electric car. It gets me there quite quickly. I'm there by 4am. So I drive up to Broadcasting House, yes. the main headquarters of the BBC um, in Portland Place, closest to Oxford Circus. So right there. If you know the studio where the one show's presented from, mm-hmm. in that part of the building, just it's literally upstairs from where the one show uh, studios are. So I go there at four in the morning. I say hello to all the security guards and the cleaners. Uh, who I know quite well, have a little chat with them, walk through, get in the lift, go up to floor two in Peel Wing, John Peel Wing of um, Broadcasting House. And I will head straight to the studio where I kind of rearrange my screens the way I want them and set up the studio the way I want it. Mm -hmm. And I also put the air conditioning down to zero because I like it nice and cold because it keeps me awake. Very good. Then I'll get a cup of tea. And then I'll sit down in the ops area where the phone answerer will be with me. And we'll sit there and we'll, I'll start typing out an intro and we'll look through all the papers. So they're there in a big pile. They're there for me when I, when I come in and we'll look through for stories and for things that we can talk about. Now I might come in and I'd already have an idea about what we want to talk about, but the papers really do help. Sometimes they don't know in the summer, particularly um, they call it the silly season, don't mm. they? There's, there's not much news content around. So you really have to search out for some good stories. And we want something that people are going to pick up the phone and dial in about. Usually nostalgia works quite well. Mm. So I did the other day, there was a story about one in five nightclubs have closed since the pandemic began. Because my audience is generally older, over 50s, mm-hmm. um, I asked them quite a lot of nostalgic questions. So I said, where did you go out clubbing when you were younger? Tell us about the nightclubs when you were growing up. What music were you listening to when you were out on the town? And we got a huge response to that. So anything that's nostalgic, anything that's looking in the past um, at people's lives and what they did, they like to talk about that. 
So I find out, find out these stories from the newspapers, put an introduction together. The five at five is done. We, we prepare that together, uh, myself and my, and my, uh, the phone answerer. And then we get ready for, uh, to be on air at 5am and go into the studio, uh, wait for the news to end and then take control. So that's quite a scary moment, taking control <laughs> to make sure that I'm going to go out all across the, the network. I have to press a few buttons to make it all work. Five Live is on before me. Yeah. So the overnight show from Five Live is on. So I have to take control from them. And then I'm on just after the uh, news at five, hit the intro and we're off. You're on air until 7am when the breakfast show takes over and you say it's Vanessa Feltz at the moment on that programme. Yeah, she's about to leave. She'll be leaving at the end of August. Do you have much interaction with with Vanessa's programme as part of your programme? Is there like a, a handover on air? Absolutely, yeah. So that's the first hour of what we do. And I mentioned what we do in the first hour. In the second hour, um, it's slightly different because it's a different audience. So mm. actually BBC Radio London has a younger demographic of an audience that is more over 40s between 40s and 50s rather than the older generation who listen to bbc local radio across the country who are more in their 60s and 70s so um we have a slightly different music policy as well where it's a bit of a younger sound too and obviously we want to talk about london so it's quite it's quite strange because i've got to go from thinking about everyone across the country in the first hour to only concentrating on london in the second hour mm. And obviously at six o'clock, there's a London news bulletin. This is where things might change in the talking point. So there might be a separate London talking point that I will do in the second hour. Mm -hmm. Or if there isn't, I will continue with the the thing that we were talking about in the first hour into, into the London hour. Uh, we do a review of the top story of the day, whatever the national story is. We'll do that at the, at, out of the news at six o'clock. There's also traffic and travel that starts then. And then we do a more London story at about quarter past six, a more London news story. So there's a national news story, then a more London story, whatever that is, the top story of the day. Uh, we have a weather presenter who pops in and talks to us at about 25 past six. We then have a personal finance section. And we call it all about the money. Yep. And that's personal finance expert every day coming in just after half past six and for about 10 minutes uh, going through the three top money stories of the day about personal finance that's a really important thing at the moment with the mm. cost of living crisis and we get a lot of interaction with that as well people really enjoy um listening to the personal finance section because it really it's actually helped me out a few times and i ask the experts questions so that's really good and then we have a chat with the breakfast presenter at about quarter to ten two. so vanessa Feltz, i'll be chatting to her and Early breakfast shows really are building up to the main event, which is the breakfast show. Sure. That's the idea. We're building the audience to make sure that the breakfast show is strong. So we need to talk to Vanessa to find out what's coming up in the show to get them to keep listening. We talk to Vanessa and she does exactly that every time, spot on. Of course you want to keep listening to Vanessa <laughs> when we listen to her. She tells us what's coming up in the show. And then at the end of my hour, before seven o'clock, I do something really like a kind of before we go you must have a listen to this and it's a kind of light london story maybe somewhere a theater show that's on something that's nice that's happening an event or just a lovely human story someone who's running for charity or something like that to finish the show before the last track and then it's into breakfast so we do have a, i do have a lot of interaction with breakfast yes and um, we they do help me out 
when we need stories in the six o'clock hour for London, just as much as I would help them out in their show for stories and content as well. That's really interesting. And and obviously, you it sounds like the content, as you'd expect, is very considerate of your audiences and, and even the changing audiences where you've got slightly different audiences in different hours. How interesting. Actually, I also would go out sometimes uh, on big events. I would go out and report for Vanessa because I... For 10 years, I was a reporter mm. on The Breakfast Show before I presented. And sometimes on the big stories, I will go out and continue broadcasting into The Breakfast Show on an outside broadcast somewhere. So most recently, when Boris Johnson resigned as Prime Minister, I went to his constituency in Uxbridge and South Ryslip and presented some content from there into Vanessa's Breakfast Show. So that happens on some big events. I did it again when we marked the 10-year anniversary of the London Olympics pre-recorded content do you have any pre-recorded content is that a regular thing or not very regular because you haven't mentioned anything explicitly it might stand to reason that you might want to have content which features the voices of people who aren't able to to speak with you at that time in the morning it's very rare that we have pre-recorded content mainly because i don't like it i love live broadcasting and the reason i don't like it is i can't stand editing Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i'm someone who just can't stand waiting around and editing stuff although there is some bits now and again of pre-recorded stuff um i'm not a great editor i don't like doing it and because it's only me who's setting up the show there's a lot of work to be done just to get people on but you know it's surprising that people how many people want to come on when you say would you like to come on the show and talk Mm. about this um it's at six in the morning would that be okay and nine times out of ten they would they're really happy to come on and i would prefer them to be live i just think it there's a there's a different element to live broadcasting than something that's recorded, and I prefer the live broadcasting. Right. That's why I didn't, I didn't ever want to do television uh-huh. as a reporter because they take forever to do a three-minute report, the whole day, <laughs> in fact. And I couldn't wait around for that long. Just come to me live and I'll tell you about it then, and then we'll move on. But having to put all that effort in, I like live broadcasting, so as much live content for me as possible, I think. So, Jason, lots of students I work with, you know, love the idea of having a a job like yours in the future. So what skills would you say are useful to have to present an early breakfast show on BBC Local Radio or or perhaps even to present any programme on any radio station? You've got, I think, to have a a performance element to you. Not saying that it is a performance or an act, but that helps. That's my background, you see. I was a performer, mm. and I think we'll go into that. But that's my background. That's what I trained in. I didn't train to become a journalist. I didn't train to become a radio presenter. I was an actor, singer, dancer. And I think it is kind of entertainment. You are entertaining people mm. when you're on the radio. You don't want to send them to sleep. You want them to listen in. You want them. You want their ears pricked up and wanting to stay with you. So you've got to have an entertaining element, a personality about you, something about you that will pull people in. And I always say to, to people, just be yourself. It's don't try and put on an act. Be yourself. Be confident in your abilities. And that makes a good presenter if you are yourself. Performing, is, that's a great answer. I can see that from what I know about you, I can imagine you with a performance background. But... Do you think that having a friendly attitude is uh, useful for for someone on the radio? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you don't all have to be extrovert and loud-mouthed like me uh, to be on the the radio. There's plenty of other styles 
and they're just as engaging. Yeah, friendliness. Uh, but also, mm. um, there is a place for being grumpy, I suppose, mm. on certain radio stations. Uh, there's a place for going on and having a moan. There's plenty of presenters who do that. Yeah. For me, that's something I wouldn't want to listen to. I quite like to be uplifted when I listen to the radio. I want to hear happy tunes and and I want to smile. But some people like to come to, onto the radio and moan and complain about things and phone up talk radio stations and have a good old go. And there are places, for, there's a place for everyone, I think, on radio. I think you still need, you, st- you need to be engaging for an audience to react to you. And you need to be able to connect to the audience, know who they are and connect with them. If it's a local radio station, I, I guess local knowledge helps as well with both you know, engaging and connecting with audiences. Oh, yeah. I mean, my love of London started when I left theatre school, when I became a guide, a tour guide of London on the buses. Um, back in the 90s, I became a tour guide and I learned so much in the training course that we had. There was a six-week training course about London and uh, they gave us all these books to read about London history and I became fascinated with London history and London areas and then later London politics and London news Mm. and how London works so I am enthralled by all of that and I you really do need to know where you are the geography of where you are who runs the local council and in London that's a lot Mm. there are 39 boroughs and of course then there's the mayor of London and the Greater London Authority and all the London Assembly members you need to know your stuff about London to, to to be able to broadcast i think on a local radio station you really need to know it and you need to love it and have passion for it yeah yeah and speaking of someone who you know grew up in london i couldn't tell you what all the london boroughs were <laughs> <laughs> we often me and my friend matthew Schofield, who's the newsreader at bbc radio london often have a competition of right name all the 39 london boroughs now Oh. <laughs> and there's always one or two that gets to us yeah. but we get there in the end yeah 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 i can quite imagine that would be terrible that i know i know bromley and croydon and that's a and then i'll start to i'm try. kind of an anorak for london politics and london boroughs i don't know where it comes from but i'm fascinated with how london was created it's all made up of little villages hmm. but then they were all brought together under in 1965 after the greater london act was was and greater london was formed into the into the boroughs and there's there's so much history and and battle over names and things of what they were going to call the the boroughs and it's really I love all of this stuff and to to know all of that really helps when you talk to a London audience. You've mentioned Jason having a performance background and and doing bus tours in London and I guess this provides a a bit of your story here that I'm going to ask for. How did you get on to the radio in the first place? Like, what's your career story? How did you get there? Well, it starts at school, at secondary school, when I was in an assembly and some people came in to talk to us about a national campaign called the Christmas Cracker Campaign. It was set up back in 1992, I think, to help raise funds for starving children in Africa. Mm. That was what they were raising money for. And they thought of a great way of doing this would be to set up little radio stations across the country in towns and villages called Radio Cracker. And it was it was like a telethon or a radiothon where they thought people would tune in and give money. In fact, the slogan was tune in and pay out. <laughs> and they amazingly had restricted service licensed radio stations set up all over the country, including one in Paul in Dorset where I grew up. And they came in to talk about 
um, them setting up this project in Poole and the little radio station they were running there. And I thought, that's great, because I was always into radio. I loved listening to my local radio station, which was 2CRFM in Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. And I, I was fascinated when I listened to my local radio station because I, I was enthralled that they actually mentioned the names of the places that I knew and where I lived. And mm. I thought that was extraordinary. I also loved watching the local news on television because I thought, I know that place. <laughs> I was always interested in local and regional broadcasting. Even when I was young, I was fascinated by it. So when they came into my school and said that they were doing a radio station, I thought, yes, I want some of that. And I went up to them at the end of the assembly and I said, I'd, I'd really love to come and see the radio station. I'd love to, love to be on the radio. And they invited me down and they gave me my own show for the three weeks or whatever, however long it was on. Wow. Um, At the end of school, I used to go up there and I think it was from four o'clock till five o'clock in the afternoon, straight after school. It was called Schools Out. Yeah, yeah. And I had the little hour doing a program for kids, basically. I was 13 at the time. Amazing. My first radio program on Radio Cracker in Pool. And then the people who set that up the following year, a lot of the people were from the Bournemouth YMCA who had the idea of setting up their own radio station called Hope FM. And they did it the following Christmas to raise money for homeless people in Bournemouth and Paul. And I also joined that and I did a Saturday um, sort of breakfast show for kids. It was like a Saturday kids show that you used to have on the telly mm-hmm. called get out of bed on a Saturday morning. And um <laughs> I did that when I was 14 and I made the newspapers. I was on the front page of the Bournemouth Daily Echo saying the youngest DJ in Dorset or something like that. Amazing. <laughs> and then I was really interested in performing as well. So I'd done a few shows um, around the area where I grew up. A lot of my friends were in the theatre world and they were all auditioning to get into theatre school. And I went along and, and did the same thing. And I managed to get into a London theatre school called Arts Ed in Chiswick. Um, and I left home when I was just 16 and came to London to do three years training in musical theatre at Arts Ed in Chiswick. So radio took a back seat yeah. until I realised when I left theatre school and couldn't get a job straight onto the West End stage like I wanted, <laughs> my name in lights, uh, it didn't happen for mm. me. So I had to think about what else I wanted to do because I was doing lots of other jobs, such as the big bus guiding I was even a traffic warden at one stage. I did bar work. I was a clean. I did loads of different jobs to get by as a struggling performer. Sure. And then I thought, and, and auditioning and not really get, having much luck. So I thought, I need to do something else. I love radio, so let's try and get back into radio. And I joined a hospital radio station hmm. uh, at Middlesex Hospital, which is no longer there. It was knocked down. But it's now part of UCLH um, in central London yep. by Warren Street. It's called UCLH Community Radio now. So I joined that. I got a job doing some freelance presenting at Gaydar Radio. And that was a, well, I think it was the first gay radio station in the UK Hmm. uh, that was on digital radio uh, across London and in Brighton as well. And this was in the early days of digital radio. Did some freelance presenting on that. And then they gave me a job full time to be the breakfast presenter there as part of the breakfast team. And the station's first news editor. So, so hang on, you were um, breakfast presenter and news editor? I was, yeah. Wow. Well, I did a lot of presenting. Then I did a journalism course. Sure. Um, just to, it wasn't anything, it wasn't any, there was no certificate at the end of the journalism course. It was just a small sure. kind of introduction to journalism. 
I read the news on the breakfast show, but was part of the breakfast team as well. It was two of us, two presenters. Mm -hmm. And I did that for three years, presenting breakfast on Gaydar Radio and had the time of my life. We had the ability to be able to do what we wanted. We we had all, all of the creativity that we wanted, we could put into the show. And it was crazy. There were things that I did on that Gaydar Radio breakfast show that I would never do at the BBC <laughs> or ever again in my career. I mean, it was a fantastic learning ground uh, to be at that station. And we won a Sony Awards in 2008 for the best digital station of the year. Fantastic. And that was like the crowning glory. I left Gaydar. I thought it was time to move on and do something else. And I freelanced for lots of stations all over the place. Eagle Radio in Guildford, Jack FM in Oxford, mm. uh, Smooth Radio. I presented the news on Tony Blackburn's uh, weekend breakfast show on Smooth Radio for a while and just did as much freelance stuff as I could. I did the drive time show on Time 106.8, which is another station that's no longer there in, yeah. in sort of southeast London, North Kent uh, for a year. That was great fun as well because they also gave me the ability to do what I really want, what anything I wanted really. And I made a success of that. And then I started freelancing for the BBC Radio London. At the time, it was BBC London 94.9. It's had many name changes as that station. As a newsreader first. Mm -hmm. um, so I read the, read the news bulletins at Radio London for a year or two and then got a full-time job there as the breakfast newsreader when Paul Ross and Joe Good were presenting the breakfast show. That was about 15 years ago and I've stayed there ever since. But then... After being the breakfast newsreader, they asked me to be the reporter. Mm. And for 10 years, I was out and about across London reporting on news stories every single morning and following Boris Johnson around. <laughs> um, <because laughs> when he was, he was the mayor, yeah. Well, it was Ken Livingston to start, and I followed him around for a bit. Uh, but all through Boris Johnson's time as mayor of London, I would be with him at all the media events. So I know he's the first prime minister I've ever known personally. <laughs> um and and as mayor of london i mean wherever you went with boris johnson he was mobbed he was so popular as mayor of london mm. everyone wanted to take a picture with him people were calling out his name it was great to be in his company back then as mayor of london i'm not so sure if he walked around london with with us reporters now whether he'd get the same response no. but it was an amazing time because so much was happening the olympics the Diamond Jubilee, the all the lead up to the Olympics as well and the Paralympics and all of that time. It was fantastic to do. I did. I basically did everything over those 10 years that was a national story, was a London story because so much of it was happening in London. So it was a fantastic time to be a reporter. Then I wanted to get back into the studio and present. It's It was long and tiring doing reporting. Uh, I think it's a young person's job sure. being a reporter at a local BBC radio station. I asked to go back to do some presenting in the studio and I've been there ever since. I've done lots of shows. I did the evening show for a couple of years in the evenings before they asked me to do the early breakfast show where I am now. And how long have you been doing early breakfast? I've been doing this early breakfast show for the last two years now. We've just had our second anniversary on this through the pandemic, really. Wow. Previously, I did overnights at the weekend for about three years, and that was really tough. <laughs> um, yeah. Overnight for the weekend, so not going out very much. Overnight shows were fantastic, though, because I really learnt my craft there. That is where I learned to talk to callers, because it, there was no music on the overnight show. It was four hours, pure just me talking with, with people. There was no other content. And I really learned 
a lot about being a radio presenter at that at that point and dealing with callers phoning in and discussing stuff yes and so that was a really good time and now i suppose yeah my early breakfast show i'm really really enjoying it and i'm hope you're going to be there as long as possible i know it's it's different jason but I think it would be remiss of us not to mention one of your other radio projects that I'm quite familiar with, where you are actually in charge of a radio station in in West London. Tell us about that project. In South West London, yes. So this started in 2013, where I felt that I needed to do something else away from work. Mm. I was working a lot and I needed something different. Not something different completely because it's, it ended up being radio that I did. Yeah. <laughs> More radio, <laughs> but something else. And I remembered what I got out of working at Radio Cracker and Hope FM back in the early days in the 90s when I was a, ch- when I was a teenager. And I felt like I, I'd noticed that there were a few online radio stations appearing in bits of London, one in Croydon, for instance, mm. and a couple in East London that had started that were the local community radio stations that had set up online. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could do something in the area where I live in Wandsworth? So I put a little advert in the local newspaper to ask if anyone would like to set up a a radio station for Wandsworth. And if they would come along to a meeting at the Battersea Arts Centre on a particular day in 2013, and 60 people turned up Amazing. and it was just me. I didn't tell anyone else about it. I just said, this is what I want to do. Put the advert in, set up a Twitter, set up a Facebook for Wandsworth Radio and 60 people turned up and it really sprung from there. And loads of, we had nothing. We had no studio. We didn't have a studio space. We had nothing, no content, no anything. No. Um, and 60 people turned up and we did some market research and local people wanted we asked people what they wanted from a local radio station and the majority of people said local news they wanted to hear about local news so to start with we did a podcast a news podcast once a week and we talked we just did a bit of local news with the people that wanted to be involved and then as time moved on we were trying to get studio space we were trying to get funding for the equipment to build a studio uh, which we managed to get from our local council Wandsworth council gave us five thousand pounds to set up the studio And we had free space above a charity shop in Battersea Park Road. And we launched in January 2015 as Wandsworth Radio uh, with the mayor of Wandsworth coming on. And it was an online radio station. Sure. Uh, We went to get the FM license. There was an FM license that came up for our part of London. But 27 other radio groups (laughs) went on the license. Oh wow! And we weren't able to make it. It went to Flex FM, ah. which is a station that was a pirate station for a number of years okay. in this part of London. Um, and they were given the license, and we didn't get the FM license. But we we decided that we would go for SSDAB in the future, and we're actually on the SSDAB digital radio trial at the moment. When we went onto DAB, we changed our name because we realised that lots of people who lived in the boroughs surrounding Wandsworth also wanted to be part of the radio station Mm. so surrounding Wandsworth are Richmond Lambeth and Merton and we had so much content that people wanted to get on from those boroughs that we decided that we'd make the station not just about Wandsworth but about those four boroughs in southwest London where over a million people live so it's a massive population but it's also a very 
it's um, there's a lot of people that move in and out of uh, this part of this part of London. About 160,000 people, in fact, move in and out of the four boroughs every okay. single year. So we wanted to build a station that would give a sense of civic pride, a sense of the area, a sense of belonging, because there's a lot of isolation and loneliness in in this part of London as well. And so we brought the four boroughs together and created Riverside Radio. It's called Riverside because the boroughs are all connected by the River Thames Mm. and the River Wandle. So there's another tributary to the Thames that goes through Merton and Wandsworth. Those two rivers bring the four boroughs together. And that's why we called it Riverside Radio. It was really difficult coming up with a name because we were already established as Wandsworth Radio. Yeah. We were trying to find a name. Got to Riverside Radio. And we now have, from those 60 people initially, we now have 200 volunteers who come in and out and do uh, various things at the station, including be part of a breakfast or drive time team. We have a large news team who do, who do reports and uh, interviews. They have a... Uh, we have a main sort of magazine-type flagship show called Riverside Reports on a Friday night where all the news team put their reports and packages into. We've got a, a great sports team who cover all the local sports in the area. We have an arts team. There's a massive load of content to do with arts venues and theatres and dance and all sorts of things happening in Southwest London. The great thing is there's so much happening here. We have a presentation team. We have a technical team. We do events all over the area, including Christmas light switch-ons and summer festivals and things like that. It's a huge operation now with 200 volunteers. We also run a, a children's or a young people's workshop, a radio club, we call it. They call they decided to call it the Riversiders themselves. Okay. They call themselves the Riversiders. But we teach secondary school children in the local area uh, about radio and they do a course an ncfe course in radio alongside that and it's been really rewarding seeing some young people go through that course and and learn about radio because when they first came in they didn't even know what a radio was they weren't they don't listen to the radio so they didn't even know but they absolutely love it now we have had a lot of success with the people that come and choose to spend their time with us at riverside radio so A lot of them have, over the years, have moved on to get professional careers in radio, including some of them presenting now on Radio 1. Amazing. Amazing. Who a lot of people say is the pinnacle. I never wanted to. I never liked Radio 1. (laughs) I never wanted to present on Radio 1. All I wanted to present was on my local radio station. um, There's a lot of people that have been through Riverside Radio who were able to get a chance to learn how to present or how to work in a broadcast environment a live broadcast environment which is very rare to get the chance to do that nowadays and they got that chance and then went on and are now working at the bbc and commercial radio on television as well so it's really rewarding running riverside radio there's a lot of work it's very challenging at times to run such a large organization now and you're doing that on and still you know presenting that early breakfast show Yes. Oh, BBC London. I present the early breakfast show. As I say, I'm in at 4am, present the show from 5 till 7. I leave to come home and I do a lot of work from home on setting up the show for the next day and mm. getting all the right guests in and various things. And then I get on, go on to River, my Riverside Radio job, which doesn't get paid. So I'm completely voluntary there. Everyone's a volunteer at Riverside Radio. There are no paid members of staff. It's all voluntary. We have a good time as well. It's a really great bunch of people and a real community we've built there. We have a Christmas party every year, which is the highlight of my year, and an award ceremony, an in-house award ceremony that I try and get people in the radio industry to judge. Oh, wow. Um, a lot of fun. 
every Christmas um, we do that and we have a massive party where normally we get about 100 people there and it's a lot of fun. In fact, looking for venues now because there's more and more people who want to come and there's not enough venues that hold over 100 people. Jason, massive thanks for your time. Just before you go, one last question. Is there any one radio programme or podcast that you would recommend that we all go and listen to for whatever reason? I thought, I, someone asked me the other day, who's your favourite radio presenter? A few months ago, someone asked, who's your favourite radio presenter? And I didn't know what to say <sighs> because all I've done for the last five years is listen to Riverside Radio. <laughs> And and I thought, oh my goodness, I haven't listened to radio. I haven't listened to I haven't listened to anything else but my own station that I run. Yeah. Yes, a bit of BBC Radio London where I work. And then I thought, who do who did I love listening to uh, before before Rivers before Riverside Radio became a thing? And it was Johnny Vaughan. I used to love listening to Johnny Vaughan. Oh. Capital Breakfast with Denise Van Outen. That was my era when I when I was at theatre school and I was listening to Johnny Vaughan and. And um, and Denise went out and on the breakfast show on Capital Capital FM. And then someone that person said, "Well, he's on Radio X at Drive Time," mm. and I didn't know that. I didn't even know Johnny Vaughan was still on the radio doing <laughs> stuff. And he's on Radio X Drive Time, and it's a really great listen because he does exactly what I said at the beginning. He's himself, and sometimes he's moody, and sometimes he's got things to say. But he's a brilliant presenter. He's so engaging. And he connects with people and he's funny. So I've been listening to that a lot recently and it's helped me become a better broadcaster as well because at five o'clock in the morning, you're trying to, you're trying to keep awake and keep, keep things going and keep the energy up. But he has a really good connection with his audience and he's funny as well. And I would say, listen to Johnny Vaughan on Radio X, his drive time show. Massive thanks to Jason. He was extremely generous to share so much of his time and knowledge with us. There were loads of points from him, and here are a few things that jumped out to me. Uh, those familiar, regular features are so, so, so important for radio programmes that people wake up to. Listeners love the familiarity. It could almost be anything, as long as it's regular. When I hosted breakfast in Norwich, we had a word of the day. We had a regular cup of tea time teaser. Uh, there were local events guides, always at the same time. It really helped me, too, to prepare a programme. It felt safe to have that format to fall back on. When we discussed content in the programme, Jason added that nostalgia works well when it comes to talking points and encouraging listener interaction. That's great advice. If I were to throw some extra advice, local bin collections. I always got a response when I talked about local bin collections. Jason told us that there is one other person there with him during the programme. I guess it wouldn't be impossible for him to be completely on his own, although the phone calls probably need that bit of extra help and monitoring. But being comfortable hosting a programme alone, this is an increasingly important skill to have, as media companies would rather not pay for two people when they can have one. I loved hearing that Jason always made time in the morning to say hello to the cleaners and security team. This is so important. Obviously, it is a nice thing to do generally, but people in roles like security, reception, administration and cleaning are people who you are very likely to need to call for a favour at some point. It's never too early to establish a positive relationship with those people. 
Finally, Jason suggested a good radio host would be aided by an element of performance. I can see that. Some of the best radio students I've worked with over the years here in Bedfordshire have been media performance students. You have to be mindful that your role is to keep listeners entertained as well as informed. Jason does a great job combining those two elements. Jason Rosam hosts the early breakfast show across BBC Local in England and the Channel Islands from 5 until 6am every weekday and is then on BBC London from 6am to 7am. I would like now to briefly talk about something I've enjoyed listening to recently. If Blackburn signed Zidane is hosted by Spex Gonzalez for BBC Sounds and is short and silly. The podcast explores football's greatest what-if moments and dives into the multiverse to put things right on the timeline. Spex is joined by friends and for 10 minutes they discuss an alternative universe based on one historical football event changing. A recent episode looked at what would have happened if Alan Shearer signed for Manchester United in the mid-90s. Spoiler alert, Eric Cantona and Andy Cole end up in a scuffle. David Beckham and Gary Neville go missing. It turns out that Ant from Anton Deck is actually Arsenal right-back Lee Dixon. Confused? You're supposed to be. It's like the sort of conversations I used to have at 3am as a student. If Blackburn signed, Zidane is available now on BBC Sounds. We've heard from Adam, who's emailed Fantastic Noise to highlight recent published episodes of Heritage True Crime Podcasts, Serial Season 1 and The Missing Crypto Queen. Adam is a big true crime fan, but wonders if this is a bit like Hollywood films creating never-ending franchise spin-offs. Adam, I don't think so. Uh, In both of these examples, the episodes are updating listeners with the latest in the story. Serial, especially, had to revisit the story of Adnan Syed. The podcast series has made his case an international news story, so his release from prison was definitely episode-worthy. More to the point, the nature of podcasting means that they can just quickly create an episode and put it out there, because people like me are still subscribed to the feed and therefore get alerted to it, and it's relatively cheap and easy to make a new episode too. I enjoyed listening to both of the podcasts that Adam highlights. Did you? Let me know. If you would like to contact us here at Fantastic Noise, be it with audio you recommend, stories, suggestions for future podcasts, feedback, or something else, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at a Fantastic Noise. You can also email us on fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk. Before we finish, it's time for the radio word of the week. Today it is fade out. Yes, that's two words. A description of the audio level of a track becoming gradually quieter until it disappears altogether. Fade-outs are commonly used for smoother transitions to seg into a new track or a DJ segment. When I am in the studio making live radio, I use the fader on the desk to fade out, pulling it down slowly. When I am editing audio using Adobe Audition, I can use the little white square to fade out my audio to give me an effective fade, with my level becoming gradually quieter... If you weren't familiar with the expression, you are now. Fade out is the radio word of the week.
That is it for this episode of Fantastic Noise. Thanks so much for joining us. There will be another episode next week. Do subscribe, give us a review and rating, and follow us on social media at A Fantastic Noise for future updates and previews. Thanks again to our guest today, Jason Rosam, who hosts Early Breakfast across BBC Local Radio in England and the Channel Islands. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elbin, that's Stu with a double O, and our theme music is by Liam Ayton, remixed by Daniel Potter. This podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team, part of the School of Arts and Creative Industries, and recorded in the studios of Radio Lab 97.1 FM. I'm Terry Lee, and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise. Thank you.